But what I want to do is kind of recap what we've talked about for the last six weeks. For the last six weeks, we've been unpacking a bag. We haven't told you what the bag is yet, but we've been unpacking a bag on what God is doing and how he does it. Then the name of this series is Knowing, and we don't call it Knowing because we want to just teach you a bunch of information. We call it Knowing because we believe in the way that God talks about knowing it is something that produces life. And we believe that these doctrines that we have been going through that we're ending today are not just a bunch of information we can use, but these are doctrines that when they get into our hearts will produce a people who are after the heart of God. So, so why is it that God gave us this word? Why is it that there is this triune God that we were created to image? Why is it that God is on this rescue mission to save us from ourselves, from depravity? Why is it that God saves and we don't save? Why is it that he calls us to a church? What is the bag that all these doctrines fit in? Why is he doing everything he is doing? It's one, one phrase. We call it the missio dei or the mission of God. God is on mission in this earth. And he gives us his word. He saves us. He invites us into a church. Not so we can stay here and go live normal lives after that, but so that we can join him on that mission. The actual translation for missio dei is the God who is on mission. And he invites us into that. So before we get into describing how we do this mission, before we get into that, before we can define exactly how we do it, maybe we need to figure out what God's goal for history is because the mission or that informs how we do the mission. Does that make sense? So here's the thing. Here's what we need to understand, number one, is God's goal for history has never changed. See, here's what, here's what didn't happen. He didn't create Adam and Eve and then they messed up and he thought, ah, shoot, plan B. And then Noah's family got to destroy the earth, plan C. Maybe Christ will work. That's, that's not what's been going on. Christ was plan A. It was, the Bible lets us know he was crucified before the foundations of the earth. He's always been on the same mission. And so what we're going to do tonight is we're going to be pretty heavy in scripture. So don't try to search all through scriptures, write them down, or look at the blog tonight. But what I want to do is just kind of walk us through the Old Testament and show us what God has been up to, what he is up to, and what he's invited you into. And we'll start with Adam. God told Adam and Eve, after he, he, cre- he made man and woman, and he took them and he put them in this perfect garden. He said this, he goes, and let us make man in our image and our likeness and let them rule over all the earth. So God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. And then he says this, fill the earth and subdue it. What are we supposed to fill the earth with and subdue? The image and the likeness of God. We call this the cultural mandate. Here's what we have. We have a garden. God makes man and woman, puts them in the garden, says, now do this to the rest of the world. Now, we could, we could easily throw in the towel because when you look at the rest of the world, it's not too promising. But here's, we got, we got a cheat sheet in the back of the Bible. It's called the last two chapters of Revelation. Here's what we find. We start in a garden and we end in a city. We start with God saying, do this to the rest of the world. And guess what Revelation lets us know? It's done. It is going to happen. And so he says, go and subdue the earth and fill it. Now that does not mean only just go make a bunch of babies. And, but what he's saying is go fill the earth with my likeness. Go fill the earth with my glory. In fact, go create education. Go create 
culture. Go create government. Go create employment. Go create a culture that embodies my likeness to the rest of the world. This is what he tells Adam. And then what do we do? We decide we want to make a world that resembles our likeness. We fall. This thing is fractured. God preaches the first gospel and he preaches it to Satan. He says, I'm going to have somebody crush your head. But that doesn't necessarily mean just literally stepping on somebody's head. The head is symbolic for likeness. Here's what he's saying. What you just tempted man to do, they are now going to create this world in your likeness, but I'm going to crush it and recreate it into my likeness. By the time we get to Noah, God's so ticked off at humanity that he regrets that he even made us, the Bible says. So he says, I'm going to destroy the earth. I'm going to destroy. We gotta, no, I won't go there tonight. I'm going to destroy the earth. I'm going to destroy everybody on it except Noah, you and your family. So build an ark, get in it. He does the deal. We know the story. We've seen it on Final Graph. And he, he does his deal, right? And then when Noah lands, what does he tell Noah? He says, be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. I now will establish my covenant with you. Same thing. By the time we get to Abraham, he says, leave your country, your people, and your father's household, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And all the people on the earth will be blessed through you. Why did God call Abraham? Why did God elect Abraham so that the rest of the world would know who he was? Not because Abraham was privileged. By the time we get to Isaac, he says, all the nations of the world will be blessed because of Abraham. By the time we get to Moses, now here's, where, now here's what's happened. God has made all these promises. You ever feel like this? All these promises and his next amazing move is to send his people into captivity for 400 years. Here's what he tells Moses. Then the Lord said to Moses, get up early in the morning, confront Pharaoh and say to him, this is what the Lord, the God of the Hebrews says, let my people go so that they may worship me or this time I will send the full force of my plagues against you and against your officials and your people so you may know that there is no one like me in all the earth. For by now, I could have stretched out my hand and struck you and your people with a plague that would have wiped you off the earth. But what he's getting ready to say is why I have allowed 400 years of captivity, why I have allowed Pharaoh to continually harden his heart. The message is the same, starting with Adam. But I have raised you up for this very purpose. In other words, the reason I've allowed all this junk to happen that I might show you my power and that my name might be proclaimed in all the earth. David has promised a kingdom that will never die. He says in Psalms 86, he says, all the nations will bring glory to your name. In 1 Chronicles, he commands everyone to sing to the Lord, proclaim his salvation day after day, declare his glory among the nations. Solomon builds this temple and here's what he prays to God. He says, for men will hear of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm. When he, when man comes and prays toward this temple, hear them from heaven. Now, why is he asking God to hear them from heaven? So that all the people of the earth may know your name. 
with the prophets, with, the, with Ezekiel, he says this. This is what the sovereign Lord says. It is not for your sake, O house of Israel, that I'm gonna do these things. In other words, Israel, don't get puffed up. I'm not doing this for you. It's not the reason I'm doing all this. But for the sake of my holy name, which you have profaned among the nations where you have gone, I will show the holiness of my great name. Then the nations will know that I am Lord. To Habakkuk, he says, the earth will be filled with the knowledge of his glory. To Isaiah, he says, all the nations will flow like streams to my holy mountain. Isaiah 49 says, God said, it is, it is too small of a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribes of Jacob and bring back those to Israel I've kept. It's too small to do that. It's not enough. It doesn't go with what I've said continually from Adam. He says, I will also make you alike to the Gentiles that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. Malachi, my name will be great among the nations. Through the whole Old Testament, we see one consecutive goal. No matter how much we mess up, no matter how much we want to do it our way, God says over and over and over, I will fill the earth with my glory and I will save many. By the time we get to Jesus in John 12, Jesus replied, he's talking to his disciples, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified. I tell you the truth. Unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains only a single seed. But if it dies, it produces much seeds. The man who loves his life will lose it, while the man who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me. Now Jesus is starting to get into the how-to. And where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. Now my heart is troubled. Okay, Jesus is getting ready to go to the cross. And he's saying, I'm suffering. My heart is troubled. And he says, and what shall I say? What should I do about this? Should I say, Father, save me from this hour? No. It was for this very reason I came to this hour. What was that reason? Father, glorify your name. Jesus said, when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all men to myself. John 17, Jesus says, I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work which you have given me to do. I manifested your name to men that you gave me. In other words, Jesus is saying, here's the reason my whole job here on earth is done, because I spent it glorifying your name. By the time we get to the apostles, Paul interprets it this way to the Romans. Through him and for his name's sake, we received grace and apostleship. Why have we received this grace? Why have we received this apostleship? To call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. So the question was, what is God's goal for history? What is the story that you and I have been invited into? Here it is. If you're writing anything down, again, I'll put this online so you you don't have to do it. But his work from the very beginning up to Jesus, beyond Jesus, for us, for his name to be eternally glorified through the salvation of many, the restoration of creation, and full establishment of his everlasting kingdom. This is why God has been doing what he's doing. This has been his goal from the very beginning, and this is his goal now. This is the mission that you have been 
invited into. The next thing we would ask, okay, if this is, this is the what, this is the, what God has planned for history, the next question is, I'm not going to go into this a lot, but what is the context that this happens in? Or what is the context this happens through? We've talked about this almost every week. Brandon talked about it last week. From the beginning, it wasn't good enough for Adam to do it alone. He needed a wife. When he saved Noah, he didn't save Noah alone. He had a family. From Abraham, we have the 12 tribes. After that, Jesus shows up with his 12. Then it's not like he just sends Paul by himself, but he creates a church. The context in which God is going to glorify his name to the nations is the church. It is community. So the next question is, how are we going to do that? That seems like a really big task. How is he going to bring this goal of history to fruition? This is the mission that we're on. The how is the mission that we are on. When we say the Missio Dei, the mission of God, we are talking about how God is going to make all things new or how he is going to establish his everlasting kingdom or how his name will be glorified forever through the salvation of many. Now, he answers that really quickly, how he's going to do this. See, right before he ascends, he tells his disciples this. He says, go into, the na- go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, that language just never stops, of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I've taught you and baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So there is this, the way this is coming about is there is some sort of us going, us making disciples, us teaching, it's a message, it's not just an action, but is teaching all that God has commanded us. Well, what has God commanded us? Well, he sums that up for us also. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And love your neighbors yourself. So that's the way the process works. He sends us out as disciples to make disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples that do what? Teach everyone to love God and love their neighbor. Who's our neighbor? Somebody asked that. Well, so the way Jesus describes that is he uses the Samaritan, the furthest person we would want from us. So whoever that is, anything between that and the person you can't stand the most, that's our neighbor. This is the mission of God. It's not that complicated. We go, he sends us through community to a world that is far from God to make disciples who will make disciples who will make disciples by teaching them to obey everything he has taught us. So, so what does that mean? Well, he kind of breaks this down for us in John 14. He's actually, he, he is getting ready to go to the cross. And he's actually talking to one of his disciples. He's talking to Philip. And he's like, all right, guys, this is it. I'm done. I'm out. And, and Philip is kind of stressed. He's like, why? Wait a second. We've got a good thing going on here. Why would you do that? I mean, aren't you going to at least show us God first? And Jesus gets a little, a little upset with him. I mean, he's been walking with the dude for three years. And so Jesus responds by saying this. In other words, he's letting us know this is how we're going to show people God. Don't you know me, Philip? Even after I have been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. 
Rather, it is the Father living in me, doing his work. In other words, the first way, Jesus tells Philip, you should know who I am. The first way is through the message that he's been speaking. So this message hasn't even been mine. It's not even been my message. It's been the message from the very beginning. And if you should see the Father through the message. See, today in, in Christianity, we have these polar opposites. We have this one group who's way over here. Is this my left? Yeah. And they're saying, they're saying, we don't need to preach. We don't need to preach. We just need to serve. We need to serve. We need to serve. We need to, we, we need to serve. And I mean, I don't know about any of y'all, but I'm never going to adopt as many people as Brad and Angelina. I'm just not going to do that. And, and so all I'm saying is there's a lot of the world already doing that. That's not saying we shouldn't. But that doesn't necessarily point them to Christ. It can, and it will, but, and then we have this other group way over here, um, and they're saying, forget the serve. All you need to do is preach, 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 preach. And the Bible has this paradox all the time. God's sovereignty, man's responsibility. And what we want to do is push one down and elevate the other, but the Bible always holds them together. Even if they don't seem to marry, God says, yes. Okay, but we're supposed to serve. No, 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 we're supposed to preach. Yes. No, God's sovereign, man's not really responsible. No, man's responsible, God's not really sovereign. No, God's sovereign and man is responsible and God says, yes. So he says the first way that we're gonna do this is through teaching. So here God makes himself known through his word. The gospel, it says this. Um, so let's go back again to the beginning. How did God bring something out of nothing? What did he use to do that? How did God bring life out of the lifeless? He spoke, and it was. He is a God who creates through word, through gospel, through good news. But the thing about that is he created us in his image, so he created a people who he has empowered to speak life into humanity. Ezekiel, actually, at one point, God told him, I want you to do a physical flannel graph for people. You see this valley of dry bones? Here's what I want you to do. Not serve them to death. I want you to speak. And life came on then. Jesus commanded the sick to be healed. How? Through his word. John, Luke, Paul, James, and Peter all concur that those who hear the words of God and believe and obey them will not be condemned, but have eternal life. Mark tells us that the growth of the kingdom comes when people, what? Hear the word and accept it. Jesus said a true disciple is one who abides in his word. Paul tells Timothy that a good pastor is one who uses the word of God for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. But he takes it a step further. He doesn't just say he uses it. He says it is sufficient. And the writer of Hebrews says that the word of God is active and living and sharper than any two-edged sword. James tells us that God chose to give us birth through the truth of the word. Everywhere you look through the book of Acts that the church is exploding, you find a line that sounds like this. So the word of God spread or the word of God continued to increase and multiply or the word of the Lord increased and prevailed mightily. My favorite is when Paul says in Romans 1, he says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is. Not it contains, not it has part, not if you marry it with pop psychology, not if you do this in addition to, he says, it is the power of God 
to salvation for everyone. In 2 Corinthians 5.18, Paul says, All this is from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not, continuing men, not counting men's sins against them. And he has committed to us. What's he committed to us? The message, the word, the spoken word, the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors as though God were making his appeal, a word again, through us. This is what Jesus tells Philip. The way you know me, the way people know who I am is through the words you speak. What I'm not saying is some funky, out of character, out of touch, weird gospel presentation to everyone you meet. It's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is that the gospel, that the word has gotten so deep inside of you that it has transformed you, that when you talk, like I was with this lady who ended up coming to Christ, you can't help but give them word because it, you know what all Christians should know, that that's where life is at. Are you, are you with me? So the first way people know about God, the first part of the mission is through the word. So here's the prem premise number one. The mission of God is happening in individuals when they are being reconciled to God by the message of the gospel. But he doesn't stop there. He goes on in uh, John 14 and he says, Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Wait a second. I thought you just said that. It's, well, it is, but it's that whole marrying thing. He says, if you can't believe the words, I'm going to give you another way in which I make myself known. Remember what he said when John the Baptist began to doubt? He sent his disciple and said, tell him what you have seen. What have they seen? He saw the social renewal. He saw works. He saw the broken having their needs met. He saw the hungry being fed. So the other part of the equation, kind of like the love God and love your neighbor, is it's got to be gospel message oriented, but it's also got to be entrenched in social renewal. Not, not, not like this, but com completely both. In fact, go, he says this in Matthew, he says, in the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. Ephesians 2.10, for we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus. Why were we created in Christ Jesus? To do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. 1 Peter 2.12, live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong. Do you know what the pagans accuse the church? Do you know what the doing wrong stands for? Preaching the message of the gospel. Did you know that's what they couldn't stand? So here's what he's saying. He's saying, you're gonna go speak this message. It's gonna be in your talk and some people are gonna love it and they're gonna fold because I'm gonna use it to slice their heart open. But there's some people that are not gonna like it. But I'm gonna give you a way to still show them me. Live such good lives among the pagans that though they accuse you of doing wrong, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits. James 1.27, religion that God our Father accepts as pure and faultless as this, to look after the orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself from being polluted by the world. So premise number two, 
the mission of God is happening when cultures are socially being renewed through good works. See, here's what it is. The mission of God is never, and I don't know why we do this as humans, but it is never one or the other. It is never love God or love your neighbor. In fact, you can't love God without loving your neighbor, and you can't truly love your neighbor without loving God. It's never one or. It is always both and. This is why he calls us into community because you get to hold me accountable and I get to hold you accountable because my personality is gonna swing this way and yours is gonna swing this way and God is saying no. I want both because it's through both that I'm gonna transform this world. So in summary, the mission of God, this is how, so this is how I'd put both of those premises together. The mission of God is happening when we are committed to the individual, collective, and social renewal through the gospel and through good works. So that's the big picture. That's the big picture. So what does that say about us? What does that have to do with us? We're gonna go to another passage. Acts 17. Paul says this. From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times set for them and the exact places where they should live. In other words, every single person out here tonight, you are not where you're at by accident. You live where you live. You work where you work. You do hobbies where you do hobbies. Because before the foundation of the earth, God determined that you would be there. Now, why would he do that? And he determined the time set for them in the exact places where they should live. God did this so that man would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each of us. That last line, though he is not far from each of us, here's what he's saying. He goes, if I wanted to do it this way, man could find me without you. He could. I just reveal him. I reveal myself to him. But here's the deal. This goal of glorifying my name, this goal of social renewal, this goal of saving many to myself, I'm gonna do it through you. I sent you to the schools I sent you to because I want to save people there through you. I sent you to the jobs you have because I want to save people through you. I sent you to the city I sent you to because I want to see social renewal through you. He could have done it on his own, but he didn't. He chose every one of us to be windows into the kingdom, to be his ambassadors, to be, to have, to proclaim, to work the message of reconciliation for humanity. This is why he saved us. This is why we went through the doctrine series. This is why the Bible is so important. This is why he saved us. This is why it's important to know the God that we were made to image. This is why it's important to belong to a community of believers so that we would be committed to the individual, collective, and social renewal of this city, of our neighborhoods, of our jobs through the gospel message and through good works. Let's pray.